Thank you for that special this morning. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of James, chapter 3. We started something last week. I'd like to finish it this week, James chapter 3. In the first half of James chapter 3, as we looked at it last Sunday morning, James made it very clear to us that we need to be careful with our tongues. And uh, we, we saw that the tongue is powerful, and it is perverse, and it's even polluted. And so it is perverse. But look with me, if you would, back at James chapter 3. Look with me at verse number 1. And I'm going to read down through verse 12. And just uh, I want this to be fresh in our minds, how God describes our tongues. He says in James 3 and verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, a mature man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. That word unruly means unable to be restrained, full of deadly poison. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith, curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth the same place, sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. And so in those verses, as we looked at them last week, we did see very clearly that the tongue is powerful. We were warned, be careful, be careful with your tongue. We all have one and we can hurt people with it. We can we can da- do damage to relationships. So be careful because the tongue is powerful. Be careful because the tongue is perverse. Uh, it is perverted. It is actually polluted as we just read. And so one of the things we took away from last week in those first 12 verses is that no man in and of himself has the power to control his own tongue. Um, And by the way, if a person had the power within himself to control his tongue, he would have the power within himself to save his soul from death and hell. No man has that power. But God has that power. God has the power to save a soul from death and hell. And God has the power to deliver us from our tongues. And so when we come to the second half of chapter 3, we're told that while we don't have the power ourselves to control our tongues, to save ourselves from our own fleshly appetites, um, we do choose who will control our tongues. We make the choice who or what is going to control what we say and how we think and what we do. So we do have a role to play in this. And and let's look at it beginning in verse number 13. I'll read down through verse 18 and then we'll pray. He says in verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation. The word conversation means the way you live your life. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness, strength under control of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality 
without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Wisdom. Wisdom is controlling our tongues. And the question is only this. The question is not what is controlling our tongues, because wisdom is controlling all of our tongues all of the time. The question is, what kind of wisdom is controlling our tongues? Because in the verses that I just read, James, on the inspiration of the Spirit of God, tells these Hebrew believers who are struggling so much, he says, wisdom from above is either what's going to control your tongue, or wisdom from beneath. Worldly wisdom is going to control your tongue. So wisdom is controlling our tongues. The question is, what kind? What kind of wisdom? From above, heavenly, godly wisdom, wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, wisdom of the Holy Spirit, or wisdom of our flesh, wisdom of the world, wisdom that leads us to say things that are inappropriate, wrong, ungodly. So we all have a tongue. Wisdom is controlling our tongues. What kind? And and this morning, I want to see what we can expect and how we can know what kind of wisdom is controlling our tongues. Let's pray together and we'll ask God to bless his word in our hearts this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and that it is true. Teach us now, I pray, on this, this matter of the tongue and not just of our tongues. Lord, our tongues reveal our own sinfulness. Every one of us. Um, whether they be lying tongues or gossiping tongues or angry tongues, our tongues reveal our, our sin. And, Lord, they also reveal what kind of wisdom we're following. Lord, I pray that you would you'd convict our hearts and teach us, encourage us by your word and by your spirit, because we're not hopeless in this matter. And though the tongue be powerful, it is not more powerful than you. So, Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself in us through our tongues and through our lives. May it be so. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So wisdom, wisdom is controlling our tongues. What kind of wisdom controlled your tongue over this past week? What kind of wisdom controlled your tongue this morning? What kind of wisdom did you bow the knee to and and give into and yield to and give honor to? You know, knowledge is uh, knowledge is the possession of facts. It's uh, a form of understanding. And wisdom is the proper use of the facts or the knowledge that we have. Wisdom is the proper application of those of that knowledge that we have. And James here in verse number 13, look there, beginning part of James. He asks a question in James chapter three and verse 13. He says, who is a wise man? And endued with knowledge among you. Now, don't raise your hand. But how many of us in this room would say, don't raise your hand. How many of us would say in this room, I'm a wise man and I'm endued with knowledge. I have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. Truth is, there are many in this room who have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. That's true. And there are many in this room and you have wisdom. To some degree, we all have wisdom to, to differing uh, amounts. Okay, so we all have wisdom. And James here is not condemning the readers as they as if they had no wisdom. He's not saying, what's wrong with you people? You have no wisdom. James was not saying that to them at all. Um, he was trying to get the attention of those who were trying to instruct others, who were elevating themselves to the position of leader. And why? Because they thought they knew best on the matter. Nobody wants to be thought of as lacking understanding. No, none of us like to be thought of as being ignorant, right? If someone called you ignorant, would that offend you? A little, right? If, some, if you came up to me afterward and said, Pastor, you're just ignorant. Would you mean that as a compliment? No. Okay. Are we all ignorant of certain things? Yes or no? Are there things we're all ignorant of? Yes, there are things we're all ignorant of. Um, so he's not he's not putting them down. Uh, many of us would claim to have wisdom, and each of us has knowledge about many different things. 
I, I enjoy when my children sometimes will, I can talk to you in this service about them because they're not here. Um, but I, I enjoy it, and sometimes it's a little embarrassing when they will begin to talk about things they don't know anything about. And, and uh, with, with William in particular, I'll say, hey, Will, you got to check your facts, man. You got to check your facts. You got to make sure you know what you're talking about before you say it. I don't embarrass him, but I'll have a conversation with him. You can't just say whatever you think, and you can't say it like it's true. You can't be that dogmatic about everything. You got to make sure it's true. Or you say it that way. But it's interesting, even children come to that early on in life, the attitude of, oh, I know, I know. And, and not only do I know, but you should listen to me and I'll tell you how the world works. And, and they don't know yet at that point in life. You know, all of us possess a form of wisdom. And James makes that clear. Each of us has the tendency to think of ourselves as wise. That's our tendency. We're, we're, we're prone to that. We, each of us have the ten, has the tendency to think of ourselves as being knowledgeable about something or some situation. And we know what needs to be done. Right? We, we know what needs to be done. If everybody would just listen to what I'm thinking and saying, then there wouldn't be any problems in the world. If everybody would just do it the way I think it ought to be done, there'd be no problems in the world. When I was a... It's, it's open house season right now, and of course we have four graduates. I mentioned them earlier, graduating class of 2020. And I can remember when I graduated from high school, and I had um, an old Chevy truck. It was a 1979. It had a, a 350 engine in it, uh, an old Corvette engine, what I was told that had been put into it. And when we bought the truck, it, it was four different colors. It had a um, like a, or, uh, a reddish front clip. The doors were two-tone black and gray. They were power windows, which was a little unique for 1979. And then the uh, bed of the truck was orange with big rust spots all over it. But I loved it. Um, it had dual exhaust. I put chrome rims on it. It was only two-wheel drive. It kind of sat down in the front, squatted down in the front a little bit. And uh, my dad had told me that if I would sing in the choir for one year, that he would pay to have the truck repainted, which it desperately needed. And so I did. I sang in the choir. Pastor Tolman was leading the choir uh, back then. I was about 16 years old. So this has been a while ago, Pastor Tolman. You'd have been young then. And uh, I sang in the choir for one year, kept track of when that year expired, and as soon as the year was over, I got out of the choir, was out of it for like two weeks and realized that I missed it. And uh, so I got back in the choir. My dad must have known this was going to happen all the time. He was manipulating me. But whatever the case was, he repainted the truck. He paid to have it repainted. And I, had it, I chose the color Performance Red, and it looked red in the daylight. And at night, like on a rainy night, under the lights, it looked orange. And it looked really cool, I thought. So chrome rims, I loved it. It was a lot of fun, dual exhaust. And before my open house, the day of my open house, I was 16 years, or I would have been 18 at that point. Um, the day of my open house, the truck had been, not been running well. And one of the seals in the carburetor had, had a crack or something. And it was too much fuel was getting through. And it was kind of drowning it out a little bit, running too rich. And, I was a little frustrated. I had waxed the truck in preparation for the open house. I had a place I was going to park it, you know, because it was important. It was my prized possession. And that morning when I went to get gas, it was running rich, and I knew what the problem was. And, and so I thought, and I still do this to this day, by the way, I thought I can get in, get it done, and it'll all be done before the open house comes. Now, I'm sure my mom had several other things she wanted me to do, <laughs> um, but I thought I can do it all. So I hopped into the engine compartment. And that's what you did in those days. There just was that much room. You could sit on the fender almost. And, uh, and I'm taking out, I'm going to take the top part of the carburetor off, just replace the little seal, and it's all going to be good. Well, I took off the, the, several of the screws, took them out, unhooked the linkage, and I lifted the top part of the carburetor, and it didn't come. Well, I'd had this carburetor apart several times. I'm pulling, 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 nothing's happening. Now, I'm in a hurry. Fixing my truck's carburetor was not on my mother's lists. 
there were a whole bunch of guests coming. I'm feeling pressure. Not that my mom was saying anything to me, but I knew if she knew what was going on, she would not approve of the timing of this rebuild. And, uh, and so I took my screwdriver and I began to pry on the top of the carburetor. Well, the top of the carburetor is made out of a soft metal. And I actually warped the top of the carburetor that morning in my haste to fix it. It was an easy, simple fix. And I made a simple fix a major problem. Um, but I thought I knew what to do. The problem was there were two screws that were sitting down inside the middle of the carburetor. And I had just forgotten about them in my haste. And so a very simple problem, I made a bigger problem because I thought I knew, I thought I had wisdom to fix the problem in a certain time frame. And I tried to force the issue instead of patiently waiting and exercising wisdom. The truth is, we all think we know what needs to be done about just about everything. Uh, and it would be wise for us to sit back sometimes and, uh, and not be the judge of everybody else. And, it, it, and sometimes our attitude is, you know, if people would just come to my perspective, if people would just see it my way, if people would just agree with me, and so we go to talking. Look back to James chapter 1. Look at verse number 19, because he's been talking about speech. He's been talking about our tongues. James 1, verse number 19. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And, and in the context here, he's talking about our speech. Be swift to hear the truth, slow to speak, slow to give your opinion. And I believe James was referring back to verse 1, where he says in James 3 and verse 1, Be not many masters. Don't promote yourself to the head of the class. Sometimes you are the head of the class. Sometimes you are the one who bears that weight of responsibility on that matter and on that subject. And it's a weighty responsibility. Take it seriously. Speak carefully. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Give good information. But we live in a day where everybody, and this is promoted in our world today, everybody is the expert on everything that happens in the world. You know, we have just enough information. We, you know, we don't really read the whole article even, not as though those articles are inspired or, or sinless or without error. We read just the headlines, and based upon the headlines, we come to conclusions, right? We do that. And so we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't assume that we know best. And instead, James says in verse 13, look back to verse number 13 in chapter 3, the latter part, he says, prove it. Uh, in verse 13, he says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And again, that word conversation means the manner of life, the way you live your life. We all, he says, if you think you're a wise man, prove it by the way that you live your life. Prove it. Prove your works with meekness, strength under control of wisdom. There needs to be a meekness of wisdom. And, and, he's, and that, that those words, meekness of wisdom, has, have the idea of an even-natured disposition. M emotions that are under control. How are your emotions this past week? Right? Emotions. We have all kinds of emotions. I'm not just talking about anger here. Meekness of wisdom has the idea of emotions that are under control. What are some emotions that we can have? Go ahead. Give me some feedback. What are some emotions that we can have? Fear. So uh, when fear's out of control, it can lead to all kinds. It can be an emotion. Fear can be an emotion that's out of control. We're to fear the Lord. We're not to fear men or what they will do to us, but sometimes we do. Fear is one emotion. What's another emotion that can be? Sadness, sure. 
Sadness is a, a part of life. Grief. Uh, Jesus wept. I, Jesus experienced different times of sadness. Sadness is not necessarily a sinful thing at all. Sadness is a part of life, but sadness could be out of control, I suppose. What's another emotion? Anger. Anger. Um, anger. Jesus was angry. Um, Jesus didn't sin. Few of us are afflicted with righteous indignation <laughs> the way Jesus was. Most of the time when we're angry, it's fleshly and arrogant. And, you know, we deserve better, entitled. So, but sure. So prove your wisdom. Prove your wisdom. Demonstrate your wisdom. Demonstrate what kind of wisdom you're following. What kind of wisdom you are yielding to by how you live your life. By the way, if we're in tune at all with the word of God, we're in tune with the spirit of God and we're in tune with people around us, we can tell what kind of wisdom people are yielding to in their lives. Controlled emotions, gentleness of spirit. These are marks of godly wisdom. If we really are wise enough and we really are knowledgeable enough to teach and to lead others, it'll be evident in our daily lives that godly wisdom is in control of our tongues. You see, James is not merely addressing the tongue. He's not merely addressing speech, what we say or what we communicate, but he's addressing that which is controlling our tongue, that which is controlling what we say, uh, controlling what we communicate. What are some ways that we do communicate? Our tongue is an obvious answer, but what are some other ways that we communicate? What is that? Facial expressions, sure. Right. So I might not say anything with my mouth, with my tongue. It may, I might clench my teeth and not say anything, but I can communicate something, can I? Sure, sure. Wisdom controls my facial expression. What's another way we communicate today? Actions, what we do, what we do. So I can stomp out of the house and slam the door. No. You know, we have, do you ever have this happen in your house where you have the windows open? When the windows are closed, the door, you have to push it closed. You couldn't hardly slam it if you wanted to, you know. But when the windows are open and you just push the door, and sometimes the wind is blowing the right way, the door what? It slams. Have any of you men have had to go back in and say, I didn't do that. I didn't slam the door. Just, just for the record, that was the wind, you know. Why? Because slamming a door would communicate something. Sure. What are some other ways we communicate today? Texting, sure. Writing letters. Social media. There, there are so many ways that we communicate today. Our wisdom controls what we communicate. Listen to Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. He asks the question, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now he gives two masters. He names two masters. Whether of sin unto death. Sin is a master. Or of obedience. Obedience to the spirit. Obedience to the word of God. Obedience, he says, unto righteousness. And again, he asks the question, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. You see, wisdom is controlling our tongues. And so the question is, is it worldly wisdom, which is fleshly? Is there anything good in, in our flesh? Yes or no? No. That's why this flesh cannot enter heaven. It has to be put off and made anew again by God. So, is it worldly wisdom? Is it fleshly wisdom that's controlling our tongues? Or is it godly wisdom, which would be the Spirit of God? Or the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God? And let's compare the two in the time that we have. And, and what is the outcome of the tongue that is controlled by worldly wisdom? 
What is the outcome of the tongue that's controlled by wisdom from above? Well, first of all, let's see the tongue controlled by worldly wisdom. And it is very destructive. Look at verse number 14. I'll read down through verse 16. He says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Proverbs 13, in verse number 3, says, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. You know, when in doubt, don't let it out, okay? (laughs) When in doubt, don't speak. If you're not sure it is godly wisdom that's leading you to say something, don't say it. That's a rule that we all should apply to our lives, and we all ought to implement it. And what makes the worldly wise tongue so destructive? I mean, what makes the worldly wise tongue so destructive? And I think part of it would be that the worldly wise tongue is dishonest. Not necessarily intentionally, but the the tongue that's guided by worldly wisdom, it doesn't speak the truth. It might have elements of the truth sprinkled in, but it doesn't speak the truth. Um, It's disingenuous. Why is the worldly uh, worldly wise tongue so destructive? Well, it's disingenuous, it's dishonest. He says in verse 14, it it lies against the truth. Look there again at verse 14. He says, but but if ye have bitter envying, bitterness, envying, which has the idea of covetousness and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Strife in your hearts. How do you know if, if worldly wisdom is what's leading you in your thoughts? You'll have strife in your heart. And strife in a person's heart never just stays in a person's heart. It comes out. It comes out. Do you have strife in your heart? Is it possible for a person to be persecuted and have the peace of God that passeth all understanding? Do we have strife in our hearts? We ought not to. We ought not to, no matter what goes on in our world today, no matter what goes on in our lives, the different challenges that we face, and even within the congregation within Trinity Baptist, that is Trinity Baptist Church, there are folks who are going through some very difficult things. Other individuals outside of the the congregation afflicting hardship upon them, personal, sealing, is it possible to have peace in our hearts or are we or is it just something we have to give into strife in our hearts he says but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts glory not and lie not against the truth you know apparently there were some believers these some of these hebrew believers who were not submitting themselves to the holy spirit and they were harboring bitter which means sharp or piercing envying Jealousy, strife, we're talking about factions and contention in their hearts. Wow, this is, this is misery. I wonder what they think. I know what they think. I mean, it just takes your heart a place that your heart, God doesn't want your heart to be. Matthew 7 and verse 21, the Bible says, For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. And we may claim to have faith in God's word, but but are we bitter and jealous? Are we causing contention in this kind of wisdom? is what James is saying does not come from God. Does not come from heaven. 
It's inter- isn't it interesting to, to you, later on we'll see this, but he actually calls this wisdom. How many of us would say this is what wisdom? Most of us would say that's not wisdom. But remember, wisdom is making use of what we know. And if we make use of what we know, what we think we know, what we think the facts to be, outside of what the Spirit of God leads us to do, and the Word of God tells us to do, it will lead us down this path. And, and there will be no peace in a person's heart. So this is the kind of wisdom and it, it, that, that is worldly, and it does not come from God. And some believers might say, well, I'm standing for the truth. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to turn there. It's not far. Take a right in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look with me at verse number 8. Peter instructs some fellow believers how to stand for the truth. You know, there's a way in which we are to stand for the truth. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8. I'll start reading there. I'm going to read all the way down through, through verse number 17. 1 Peter 3 verse 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Think about these words. I wish I could spend more time with them. Have compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation the way you live your life. In Christ, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You know, this is the way we as believers ought to live our lives. He says it's better if you suffer, if you're persecuted by the world because you're following Christ and they hate you because you're following Christ because they hate Christ. That's okay. It's not okay if you suffer at the hands of the world because you yourself are doing evil. You can look back with me, if you would, to James chapter 3 and look at verse number 15. The point of verse 14 as to why, what makes worldly, worldly, the worldly wise tongue so destructive is that it's disingenuous, it's dishonest, right? He's not being honest. And when we live such a carnal and immature, spiritually immature manner, we, we literally discredit the truth that we claim to be teaching. Well, I'm standing for the truth. I'm just trying to get the truth out there. But, and you could say, and I'm, I stand for the truth because I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. And I want everybody to know the truth. Yeah, but you may be speaking things that are true, but the way you're doing it, actually discredits the truth that you claim to be speaking. It discredits Christ. It, it doesn't, you're not reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know, how many of us understand that I could speak truth to my children and I can do it, I can speak truth to my children in such a way that dishonors Christ. How many of us understand that? Yeah. I mean, I can yell, I can rant, I can speak the truth. Just saying it like it is, honey. Or I can speak the truth to my children and not not overlooking sin. I can speak truth to my children in such a way that honors the Lord, that lifts him up, that reflects him. And, and, and that should not, how many of us would agree that that's the way I ought to parent? 
I should speak the truth to my children in a way that honors the Lord. How many of us would agree with that? Right. Should that not also be our standard for the way we speak truth in the workplace, in social media, within the church? How many of us would agree that's the standard? And that's what that's what James is talking about here. He's not. This is not limited to certain areas of our lives. This is about our lives, how we live them, how we speak. Look at verse number 15. Here's another reason uh, that the worldly wise tongue is so destructive. It's satanic. It's satanic. Look at verse 15. He says, this wisdom, and he says it is, it is actually wisdom. This is one way to handle life and knowledge and problems in life. You can just have bitter envy and strife in your hearts. That's, that is wisdom. It's a form of wisdom. He says, this wisdom, in verse 15, descendeth not from above. It doesn't come from God, but is earthly, and it means worldly, or sensual, which means fleshly. And he says, devilish, which means satanic. Whoa. Wow. I've had to talk to Will on several occasions and my other children as well, but Will most recently, because all of my children at some point or another were scared of the devil. Okay, so, and I'd have to go up and pray with them, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He has a roaring lion. Yes, he's, there's danger there, but you know what? You know, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Is God stronger? Is he more powerful? We'll, we'll just have a conversation from a dad to children about how Satan is powerful, but you don't have to fear him. You don't have to fear him, but it's important to do the right things. Most of us all would say, Seth, I'm against the devil. I don't want his will to be accomplished. I don't want it to be accomplished in my children's lives or in our church. Our church. I don't want Satan's will to be accomplished in our country or in the world today. Most of us would say that, and yet sometimes... Even as children of God, Satan's will is accomplished actually through us in our tongues. A dad, this can happen in the life of a dad who has a sharp tongue or a bitter spirit. A mom, a husband, a wife, a pastor, a teacher, a leader, any of these who have a sharp tongue and a bitter spirit. They're not yielding to godly wisdom. They're not submitting to godly wisdom. They, they have wisdom. It's not that they're not, they don't have some form of wisdom. No, that wisdom is definitely on display. But it's not the wisdom that God promises to give us back in verse number 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He'll give it to you. If, if we can be described as having a sharp tongue, a bitter spirit... An envious attitude, worldly wisdom is controlling us, and worldly wisdom is, and he lays it out for us at the end of this verse. Now, I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. I want you to, to ponder your own life. Have you been struggling with a sharp tongue? You know, just saying it like it is. That's the other way we'd say it. Have you been struggling with a bitter spirit? You say, well, not against the church, Pastor. But I have been struggling with a bitter spirit when it comes to political leadership. Like that makes it okay. Have you been struggling with a bitter spirit? How many of us think that God wants us to have a bitter spirit just because people are doing things in our country or in our lives, maybe personally, that we don't agree with, and maybe even that God doesn't agree with. As if, if God doesn't agree with it, that's a reason for us to have a bitter spirit. No, a bitter spirit is worldly wisdom. That's how an unsaved person would handle it. That's how our flesh would handle it. It actually makes a lot of sense. Get up in arms, get a bitter spirit, get indignant, and just let rip. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, this is hard. Some of us are going to go home today. We're going to be pondering, like, what am I supposed to do? Because what's being done is wrong, but I'm not supposed to have a bitter spirit. Right? You can speak the truth. There's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. 
And it's not the worldly wise way, an envious attitude. And if we are, worldly wisdom is controlling us. And, and, And worldly wisdom is, look at the end of verse number 15, earthly, which is worldly, sensual, that's natural, it's fleshly, it's devilish, is actually the word that he uses here, which means demon-like. How many of us want to admit that we've spoken demon-like words? Satanic-like words. Listen, this is not the way God's people are to live and how to speak. It tears relationships apart. It destroys relationships. It demeans the person who speaks that way. It belittle, you belittle yourself. You dishonor yourself. More than that, it dishonors the one who lives within us. See, worldly wisdom has no business in the assembly of God's people. And when worldly wisdom is found in a church, there will also be found satanic opposition which will stem the tide of the progress that the Spirit of God is seeking to accomplish. Worldly wise tongue is destructive. There's one last reason. Look at verse 16, and that is confusion comes because of worldly wisdom. He says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And every evil work. The word confusion there means a disturbance or instability, a state of disorder. You know, among these Hebrew believers 2,000 years ago, there were some self-promoted leaders, self-proclaimed leaders, and they were overcome with envy and strife, and their tongues were fueling it within the church. And the same, I suppose, can be, is true today. We all struggle with these things. Envy and strife doesn't care where it takes up residence, whether it's a marriage or maybe amongst deacons or a pastoral staff or in church membership or in your family, in the workplace. It doesn't care. But wherever it is found, wherever worldly wisdom is found, there will always be confusion. There will always be an instability, a state of disorder. There will always be every evil work. And so the question for us is, is worldly wisdom controlling our tongues? Hmm. How many of us want worldly wisdom to control our tongues based upon what the Spirit of God has revealed to us today about the result of worldly wisdom controlling our tongue? I don't want that. How many of us, how many of you would want for me as your pastor for me to speak to my children in a worldly wise manner? And as you watch my children grow up into adults, you would observe them speaking to me the same way. How many of you want to see that? No. Wouldn't that that break your heart? Ian's a sweet boy, isn't he? He's got a sweet spirit. He's a pretty honest fella with his daddy. Someday, I imagine he's going to be taller than me. Wouldn't it it break your heart if someday, you know, years from now, maybe he's 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, you happen to be here and here in the the auditorium, you saw him just let loose on me, put me in my place. Tell me he's not listening to what I'm going to say and he's sick and tired of. How many of you that bless your heart? Break your heart, wouldn't it? See, you, you and I can sow seeds. We do sow seeds with our families, with our children, with our spouses, our church family. That's not so with worldly wisdom. Proverbs 21 and verse 23 says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Look at verses 17 and 18 and we'll be done. He says, But the wisdom that is from above. So the wisdom, the worldly wise tongue is destructive. But the tongue controlled by godly wisdom is constructive. Look at it, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This is wisdom that is from above. When I read these two sections from this passage of the worldly wise tongue, and I understand I can yield to worldly wisdom, 
I see what it does. Or I can yield to wisdom that is from above. Godly wisdom. Wisdom of the Spirit of God. And it produces this. This is what I want. Godly wisdom never has impure motives. The tongue that's controlled by the Spirit of God will always speak the truth. We we aren't always controlled by the Spirit of God. That's true. When we're not, we're controlled by worldly wisdom. But, but, But the tongue, the life that is controlled by the Spirit of God will always speak the truth. We'll be slow in giving our opinions and our conjecture. Well, you kind of have to draw it out of them, you know, what they really think. Because they're slow in giving it. Some of us are really quick. Tell you what I think. Want to know what I think? No, no, I really don't know. Want to know what you think, right? I mean, have you ever been there? Slow to give our opinions. Slow. Our tongues can be used for destruction or construction. Look at verse 17. He says that godly wisdom is first pure. I would, I would, I, I challenge you this morning and all of us. Let us ask the Lord today, this morning, to take control of our tongues. Why don't we all this morning say, Lord, would I yield my tongue to you? I know I'm going to be quick to speak. I know I'm going to be quick to react. I know I have, I'm full of opinions. But Lord, would you take control of my tongue? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Heavenly wisdom is never selfish. It's never arrogant. Ask the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him to lead us in in lives of purity before God and man. A person living an impure life may be considered wise by this world, but is considered a fool by God. So are we willing to follow godly wisdom that will lead us away from impurity and regret? You see there it's first pure, and then he says peaceable. And beware of a false peace that comes from Satan. A place where uncleanness and impurity are allowed to continue. In Philippians 4 and verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 verse 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. See, godly wisdom is peaceful, and it brings peace to a family. It brings peace to a church. Peaceable and then gentle. Gentle is not harsh. It's appropriate and patient, not rude and overbearing in conversation or in life, not harsh and cruel in temper. True gentleness is a product of purity that comes from godly wisdom, wisdom that's from above. He says easy to be entreated. What does that mean, easy to be entreated? It doesn't mean that I'm, by the way, this is something that I pray for, that I would be easy to be entreated. Um, but when the Bible says easy to be entreated, it doesn't mean easily entreated to do wrong. It means easily entreated to do right. I want that. I don't want to be easily entreated to do wrong. Full of mercy and good fruits. This is all wisdom from above. It doesn't give what's deserved, but it's kind and good. It will actually give. It will give when it has been hurt. Without partiality. That's not taking sides. Not taking sides. I'm not taking a side. But I'll be on the side of truth. I want to yield to the Spirit of God. I want, I want Him to be seen through me. Without hypocrisy. Never fake. Wisdom from above is never fake. It's not insincere. It's always sincere. It's always genuine. It has no disguises. It's not hiding anything. And godly wisdom produces peace. You saw it in verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Where does peace come from? Galatians tells us peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not of the world nothing to do with the world. The world will clamor for peace. The world calls for peace, but they will never have it. It's interesting the kind of people that team up together to accomplish something good, so-called. 
when they themselves will then turn on one another to destroy one another. God's people ought not be like that. But with wisdom from above guiding us, there ought be peace. A peace in righteousness. A peace that God can bless. Oh, how I long for this, for this church, for my family, and for the glory of God. And so I'll close with this. What is controlling your tongue? What has been controlling your tongue? It's our choice. You and I are not more powerful than our tongues. We cannot overcome our flesh. We cannot. We are not our own saviors. But we do determine. We do decide. We do have the choice of who is going to control our tongues and thereby our lives on a daily basis. And every morning when I wake up, I ought to be thinking, today, Lord, may you be glorified through my tongue, knowing that if he will be glorified through my tongue, he will be glorified through the rest of my life, the rest of my body. May it be so. I have two challenges for you. Number one, if our tongues have been under the control of this world and worldly wisdom, we need to confess our sin to the Lord. We need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Forgive me for following worldly wisdom and not walking by faith and trusting you, wisdom that is from above, not waiting on you, not trust, not believing that your way will accomplish what needs to be accomplished for me getting out of line of the Holy Spirit and embracing worldly wisdom, maybe even to accomplish something that we thought needed to be done. Lord, forgive me for my worldly wise ways. And then we need to ask him, Lord, we need to entrust. Lord, would you take my life? Would you take my tongue? Would you take everything that I am? Would you use it for your glory? I'm going to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. I'm entrusting my tongue to your spirit. Would you live through me? Would you speak through me? How many of us this morning be willing to do that? How many of us be willing to do that? Many of us in this room. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the honesty. Thank you for humility in this room this morning. Father, may your will be accomplished in our lives. Lord, not just in what we speak, but what we do. What we do. Our conversation, our the way we live our lives, Lord. May this congregation be yielded and submissive to wisdom that is from above. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.